Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. It's the show with the most prudence. We maximize the amount of prudence that you receive every week. I am Dear Prudence, uh, also known as Mallory Ortberg, and with me in the studio today are uh, old friends of the column, uh, Jaya and Matt. I will introduce them later. But first, I have something to say to my listeners, and I'm finally saying listeners and not readers because I have finally been taught the difference between listening and reading. It took a while. Uh, it's It's been about Six months that we've been doing this podcast now, but I finally stopped calling you readers, and I'm pretty proud of that fact. Um, I want to take a minute to call out queer women. I don't think that we're holding up our end of the bargain when it comes to promoting our Lord and Savior, Carly Rae Jepsen. Um, I have to say, I've been following her career. Uh, I feel like queer men are really outshining us in terms of spreading the good news. Uh, And we're really falling down on the job. I don't want to say that we're not doing anything, but we're not doing enough. Um, I don't know if that it's just been we've been so distracted with Tegan and Sarah over the last couple of years, but I feel like we, we, we've we done a good job there. Like straight women know about Tegan and Sarah now. Straight women love Tegan and Sarah now, possibly more than we do. I, I'm not actually sure quite how to feel about that. I feel like it's sort of like flannel shirts where we were like, hey, these are great. And then straight women were like, my God, I need this every day of my life. And then we we're like, wait, but we ha- we had that, which is good, though. It's good. It's good to share. Uh, it's It's good to promote queer things into into you know other avenues i think that's great but um you know we did it with flannel shirts we did it with tegan and sarah and it's time to step up our game when it comes to praising carly ray jepsen um i don't feel like i need to go into further detail it's pretty self-evident to me that she should be a daikon um and i just want you to encourage all of you to uh you know get to know her personally on a deep personal basis invite her into your heart um spread the good word and uh, just, you know, really step up, like meet our queer brothers halfway because they have been carrying this burden alone. Um, and, and I think that we they, they deserve more than that. They deserve better. Carly Rae deserves better. Um, we could all be doing more. So and, and I'm, I'm calling out myself in this, guys. Like, I also have been remiss. I barely talked about Emotion Side B when it came out. Like, that's on me. I have a public platform and I did nothing. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to think about that sometimes. So. I'm not trying to be hard on you guys, um, but we need to turn it around. One more thing that I want to talk about in a completely different vein uh, is a trend that I'm noticing in letters that I'm receiving to the column that are really fascinating that just involve people like straight up copping to committing crimes on Facebook. Uh, In the last two weeks, I've gotten letters from people who say, hey, a friend of mine admitted to beating their toddler on Facebook or someone admitting to committing sexual assault on Facebook. And um, I don't want to discourage people from uh, self-reporting horrible, violent crimes, I guess, because it's good now that they're, you know, hopefully going to be uh, experiencing consequences for those actions. But I just want to remind you guys, like, if you say something on, you know, it's, it's like the Matrix, right? If you die in the Matrix, you die in real life. If you confess to a crime on Facebook, you've com- confessed to a crime in real life. Like people can see that. They can read it. They can print it out. They can take a screenshot. Like, I, I, I guess just if, if you're thinking about committing a crime 
and then you tell Facebook that you did it, don't be surprised if later people say, hey, it seems like you committed a crime um, because you told them that you committed a crime. Just want to throw that out there. Uh, Be aware. Facebook gets read by other people. um, And if you are friends with someone who is just like, hey, Facebook, what's up? Um, I've done some crimes lately. Here's a list. Uh, especially if they're like violent crimes that, you know, have victimized other people, uh, that, you know, go ahead and, and don't pretend that you didn't see that because because you have just read a confession for some reason. I, 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 I don't know why um, anyone would put a confession to a crime on Facebook, but apparently it happens. Apparently it's a real problem. Um, so, you know, just be checking Facebook every now and then for like a big, like wide scale confession of crimes done. Um That's apparently something that we all have to deal with now in our interpersonal relationships. Uh, This is a terrible segue, but as far as I know, neither Jaya Saxena nor Matt Lipchansky have ever committed a crime. Uh, And here they are on the show to talk to us today. They are great people. Uh, They have co-created Dad Magazine, which is the greatest magazine about dads, by dads, and for dads I've ever read. And uh, I love them. Hello, guys. Hey, Mallory. Hey. It's true. I have not committed Facebook crimes. You've committed Facebook crimes? No, I said I have not. not. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I Someday, though. I keep all my crimes I, off of social media. Good, good. I mean, I think that's wise. I, I find myself in this weird position of like, do I encourage people not to do crimes or just never to talk about it online? Um, and that makes me uncomfortable. But I guess uh, that's just what's going to happen now. Um, guys, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I know we're all scared that we're going to talk over each other because there's three of us here today, and I don't think we're going to. I think we're going to do a great job. I'm going to jump right into this, just jump inwardly uh, with the first letter that we've got today, which is uh, the subject is tired of caring for fiance's mother. Just as a warning to all our listeners out there, all of the letters today are deeply heavy. Uh, They're all thorny and difficult, and they make me feel sad, and uh, I just want you to know. So, dear Prudence. I'm a 50-year-old woman with no children. After three years of being in a long-distance relationship, my fiancé got a job in the city where I live, and we decided to move in together and get married. About a month before he was scheduled to move, his 70-year-old widowed mother fell and broke her ankle. He didn't want to move nine hours away and leave her alone, so I agreed that she could move in with us. A year later, she's still living with us, and her health has deteriorated drastically. She has dementia, is incontinent, and fell and broke her hip, and can no longer walk independently. She relies on a walker or a wheelchair and requires 24-hour care. We had to move into a smaller, one-story, handicapped, accessible home to accommodate her needs. A health aide cares for her while we're at work, but otherwise we can't leave her alone for more than an hour. I love my fiancé and his mother, but I hate taking care of her. I hate that we have no social life, that we can't go on trips, and that we're both constantly stressed by the burden of her care. This is not how I want to spend the next phase of my life. My fiancé will not consider a nursing home. He thinks that she will be abused or neglected. I haven't set a date for our wedding because we can't figure out how we'd be able to take a honeymoon. How do I say to my fiancé that I can't marry him unless he puts his mother in a nursing home without sounding like a horrible, cold-hearted person? Thanks for your help. Woo! Yeah. Take it away, guys. Oh, this is a doozy. I'm glad that the two of us who are very serious and do a lot of serious problems are here to take care of this. <laughs> so I think with this question, there are, I mean, there are a couple issues in here because one of it is about the mother and that, you know, caring for her is a full-time job and is really stressful and the fiancé is not willing to put her in a home. But the other issue is sort of that 
their relationship seems to be falling apart a little. It's that they don't have a social life. They can't travel. They can't sort of do these things that she really wanted in a relationship. Um, so I, I guess I don't know if a nursing home is necessary. I mean, there are other options here. You could get a nurse, you could get a full time nurse instead of just a nurse who's there while you're at work. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a family member who could share this burden. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. The, the thing that stuck out to me is that she didn't seem to tell her fiance how unhappy she is about it. Like she hasn't really registered, um, what her feelings are to him. I just didn't, it didn't, it didn't strike me like, like, I think, I think the first step here is to, to, to maybe communicate a little bit that you're unhappy in the first place and go yeah. from there. Cause I think that's, it seems like she's communicated that she wants his mother to be in a nursing home, but maybe hasn't communicated that I'm sad about our relationship. I want to have more of a social life. I want to go places with you. I want to have dates with you and you know, all those things. So maybe there would be something that could come out of a conversation like that if it hasn't happened already. So you guys are married to each other. We are. That's true. Have you guys ever talked about what you would do if one of your parents became like unable to care for themselves? Yeah. I mean, I think about it a lot. I, you know, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty here. I feel like if he was unwilling to put her in a nursing home when she agreed that his mother was going to move in with them, that's sort of it. You know, you've committed to that being your life and that that's bad that you know that's not what you wanted and you felt like you were in that position but that's that's sort of what you agree to right i i one thing i will say is i think you can always change your mind right like just because you agreed to something at one point does not mean you are locked into it indefinitely very um, true yeah but that comes I, I, I with also, maybe having a conversation about yeah. it. this i've changed my mind perhaps is a thing to say <laughs> no this is rough because uh, i mean I understand his concerns. Like lots of nursing homes, people are neglected and abused. I'm not saying that it's like happening more often than not, but like that's a valid concern. He's not like coming up with a bizarre theory out of thin air. Like that does happen. Um, and I also feel really bad for his mother. Like she's 70 years old. She has dementia. She's incontinent. She's in a lot of pain. Like that's really awful. And yeah. I, I, I don't feel like anyone's wrong here, right? Like, I absolutely understand someone saying, I don't want to put my parent in a nursing home um, unless I absolutely have to. Because um, presumably, I mean, at some point, she's going to require the kind of care that you guys can't give her, right? I mean, like, there's also the question of, are you capable of giving her the same kind of care that, like, medical professionals can when it comes to, like, if she's incontinent, I assume she requires, like, a lot of, um, like, cleaning and attending to her personal hygiene. If she's got dementia, she's going to require constant watching. She's I, assuming her medication, like, regimen is pretty specific. Like, at some point, she will require medical care that you can't provide. So I think it would be helpful to have a conversation of, like, at what point would putting her in a nursing home become necessary? Um or like you said, hiring full-time help at home, not just while they're at work. I, I I don't know about expense, though. Like, I don't know, is that more expensive than a nursing home? Which, you know, you have to pay for, like, living there. But having one person, like, full-time with her, that's not cheap either. Yeah. I think it's, it's my impression that it's 
it's less expensive to put to be in a nursing home in terms of like because you're not just paying one person's entire salary. Uh, yeah, no, I think you're right that there's no no one's in the wrong here. Um, but it's just that, yeah, I don't know. Oh, this is complicated, and I feel weird for not being able to have any better idea than just like, damn, oh, that's hard. <laughs> I think probably the best advice that I could give them is to be really, really honest and to accept the possibility that things might not work out, not because you don't love each other, um, but because he's committed to taking on something that you don't want. Like, I, I think I think you should really, like, lay it out. I think you should say, I care about you a lot. Um, we have only ever lived together while also being full-time nurses to your mother. And I don't want that. And it's not as if you guys were married for 20 years. His mother became a part of your family. You committed to a life together. Like, you have not yet gotten married. Um, and I think now is... Like the, the the first time that you had the opportunity to reconsider was when he said, if I do move now, I have to bring my mother. That was an opportunity to say, well, then maybe move, but don't move in with me. And let's see what it's like dating in the same city while you're also carrying this like big personal burden. Not that your mother's a burden, but the situation um, is a burden. Yeah. Uh, and now you have another opportunity before you get married and like sign up for indefinitely caring for this woman to say, I cannot continue to live like this and I need yeah. to talk about our other options. Like maybe you'd be willing to stay in the relationship if you hired another aide so that you guys could leave the house for more than an hour at a time. Um, and so that you didn't feel like for who knows how much longer she's alive, you are part of her medical team. Um, maybe, maybe you would need for her to be in a nursing home for you to feel like, so that I'm not constantly terrified that she's going to slip and fall if I'm in another room and that I'll be responsible for, for her further injury. Um, like, Put it out there. Figure out what you can and can't handle and tell him. And if he says, look, I, like maybe I'll hire somebody to come more, but like she's never going to go in a nursing home. I'm going to be with her to the end. That is my breaking point. Like it's better to know that now. Um, and maybe it would be really sad to part ways, but I think it would be worse for you to continue to keep this to yourself and just like find yourself in that awful position of hoping that she just dies, which I think yeah. would make you feel terrible. Right? Like, I say the, I'd feel bad. The letter writer seems to be concerned with planning the wedding, but this is not a, a problem that's going to fix itself by getting married. This tends to exacerbate things better, better, more than uh, fix them. Yeah. And I also think, you know, there's something you said before about reaching the point where you cannot provide the medical care that a nursing home could. I think, you know, if the letter writer were to lay this out to her fiance, um, Broaching the idea that maybe that point has already been reached. You know, they, I, I don't know from the letter, but I feel like she would have mentioned if either of them were medical professionals or maybe were equipped to deal with this. But, you know, if it's already taking care of someone who is incontinent and has dementia and is in a walker or a wheelchair and all this, you know, yeah, that is a lot for somebody who's not trained for it. And maybe they're already at the point where they're not the best people to care for her. I think too sometimes can think if I put my mother in a nursing home and she could be abused and neglected, that mean, like I'm putting her away. Like I'm not going to, it's not going to be, it, it's, it's like hiding her in an attic. And I think like you could find a nursing home that is very close to you and you could visit on a daily basis. Um, and like you can do research and look for places that have like 
uh, you know, a lot of transparency and like allow lots of visits and 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 like seem to have, I don't know, good Yelp reviews. Um, again, not that you can like <laughs> control for everything, but you also like you don't know what the home health aide is doing when you're at work. Like on some level, when you entrust care uh, of a loved one to a medical professional, uh, you do have to hope that they are not causing harm. And like when you are at work, like it's, you know, you're also trusting that the home health aide's not hurting her or neglecting her or like, you know, watching TV and like ignoring her. Um, so I think there are ways to like investigate um, full-time care possibilities that aren't just, okay, either I dedicate myself like 24 seven to my mother's care or I throw her away in a nursing home and don't think about her again. Like those are not your only two options. Maybe the home health care person that they already trust knows, uh, knows something and they could talk to them about it. Oh, that's really good. Yes. That person uh, probably has some connections to nursing homes. I imagine. Ugh. Yeah, but this is just sad. And I think you're just going to have to be brutally honest. Um, you're not cold hearted for not wanting to take on this woman's full time care. You're not suggesting he throw her out into the street. You're not giving him an ultimatum. You're just letting him know, like, if this is like an absolute sticking point for you, we might not be able to get married. And, you know, sometimes stuff like that happens. And it's not because either yeah. of you is a bad person, but um, you just, you know, it's his mother. And it's not your mother. Like, this is not a woman you really know. You've never really known her as anything other than than a, a, a woman who needs full-time care. And um, that is going to make things different for the two of you. So, whew. All right. Uh, let's talk about something totally different. Let's talk about somebody who wants to quit their job two days in, which <laughs> I identify with a lot. I have a lot of sympathy for this writer. I don't think they should do what they want to do, but I really sympathize. I get it. So uh, this one is called How Long Till I Can Quit? I just left my job last Friday and I started a new job Monday and I hate it. Things weren't bad at my old place, but I got bummed out when my supervisor changed and then I was told that the promotion I'd been promised was not likely anymore. I liked the work, but wanted to try something a little different in my field. This new job sounded like all the things I loved in my old job. Plus, there were tasks and areas that I wanted to learn more about. I've cried both nights that I've gotten home from this new job. I'm trying to be rational, but I don't like the place. My boss and my coworkers are constantly distracting me. Instead of setting up meetings, she will every few minutes mention something that I'll have to stop my task in order to take notes on, which seems to be the extent of the training I'll get. In the meetings I've sat in on, other departments don't seem to be supportive or interested in her ideas, which is apparently a problem in my department. They don't have a cafeteria, so it's hard to imagine how I'll make friends here. I miss the friends I had at my old company, and they said the door would always be open to go back. I left on very good terms, but I'd be really embarrassed to return so quickly. I know it's still the first week, so I need to relax, but I'm so overwhelmed and stressed out. How soon do you think is acceptable to leave a job without putting a major red flag on my resume? Do either of you guys think two days is enough? I like I don't want to say that there's a hard line of, oh, you need to stay at a job for six months or one month or whatever it is. But I think I think two days might be too soon. It might be a little too soon. Maybe give that What's five the shortest you've days? ever stayed at a job? The shortest I've ever stayed at a job? Uh-huh. Um, like a year? <sighs> Jaya, what about you? I, oh, probably about a year. Probably. All right, I have you both, I have you both beat. I once quit a job my third week. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was Sorry, it? Sorry, I, I interrupted you. Was it? It, it wasn't bad. Uh, it was that I got another job offer that was better. And uh, I took it 
And then I quit that job before I started it. <laughs> wow. Okay, so that's the thing. Two days is fine if you can quit a job before you even start it. That's. <laughs> I mean, things worked out for me. I have a job now. Um, yeah, it, you seem to be doing great. Yeah, it was it was a, a wild and crazy time in my life. Um, uh, I generally don't put either of those on my resume because it's only a three week gap. Don't really have to explain it. Could have been just That's napping true. or something. If she leaves after two days, she doesn't have to put that on her resume. You don't have to put anything on your resume. I'm just picturing like two days, like written on the resume, like I was <laughs> I was asleep. Monday and Tuesday. 1986. Oh. Yeah. The one one thing that stuck out to me was uh, that she seems to be really worried or he seems to be really worried about making friends because there's no cafeteria. Does people still work at places with cafeterias? I worked at a place with a cafeteria. What's that? Yeah. I, I, I worked. I used to work in the suburbs and I was in this big office park. And sometimes we would go out for lunch, but that always involved like carpooling and like at least a 15 minute drive. So a lot of times we would just go downstairs to the cafeteria. So like it seems like a cafeteria certainly helps in socializing, but I don't think it's your only option for socializing in the office. I don't think the cafeteria is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. That's not that's not the issue here. (laughs) You can get a couple of people to go to the Wendy's with you. It's not a big deal. You know, you stop by someone's desk, mm-hmm. you know, you walk in the hallway and you say hi to somebody there. Yeah, there seem to be the issues that are legitimate issues and the ones where it's just it seems a little bit like it's a drastic change and she's reeling and she misses her old job and sort of all the issues become a little more highlighted because of that. Um, Like, I I do think it sounds like there's some some bad management or at least mismatched management going on uh which is which is an issue and that's something that maybe if they feel comfortable they could talk to their boss about um but yeah you don't have to discount that that's that's an issue maybe wait a week and then talk to your boss and and say that you were having trouble fitting in or whatever uh and just talk to talk to somebody about it and see if you can solve your problem first before just quitting a job after two days. Yeah, I think one thing that this makes me think of is that whenever you leave a job, you are always running a risk. And uh, if you leave a job that like things are pretty good at, you might find a job you like less. Um, so something to bear in mind, like uh, not that you should never leave a job if you don't hate it, uh, but it's just kind of an interesting reminder of like things weren't bad. I just kind of didn't like the new supervisor and like a promotion got put on hold. Which for some people might totally be reason to to change jobs, and for other people might feel like, well, let's see how things shake out. Um, so this is just one of the risks you run when you take a new job, right? Is is you do not know what it's like. Yeah, all jobs are combinations of you know great things and bad things, and you know maybe they don't like their boss or the way that they're being managed, but I'm not sure if that outweighs the idea of you know taking on new tasks and new areas that would expand a repertoire you know those are those are things to weigh and it doesn't seem like they've jumped into to a wholly terrible situation though to be fair i've worked a lot of very bad jobs in my life and every time i have a bad feeling at the beginning of the job it generally doesn't go away 
but I think you should try to work on making it better first before you just bail before you've even worked there a week. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like none of us are saying quit right now, right? Like, no, I don't think anyone's voting for it's probably now day four, day five. Uh, no one's voting for quit right now. Um, how how long do you think how long do you think is like a good faith effort? But that wouldn't make you think like, oh, geez, this person's like, obviously, no one's recommending they do what I did. Right. Like the three weeks thing was not a great idea. <laughs> no I also, one would ever way, recommend I wanna, that. I just want to tell you guys, I also took vacation my second week. Come on. <laughs> I had already planned the trip when they hired me. And I said, cool, you need to know I, I, I have plane tickets next week. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be gone Thursday and Friday. And they were like, that's fine. We understand. And then I was like. Also, I'm quitting. I, I think that's reasonable, though. The the quitting thing, you know, what you you seem to have done fine. The saying that you had a vacation planned when you're hired, totally fine. If you got there on the first day and you're like, "Oh, what's your vacation policy?" I'm taking that now. That might Coachella's have been coming up, that might have so. been a little bad. Every time yeah. you accrue a day, you just take it off. That's a really good way to do it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel uh, like I think uh, go a ahead. good faith effort. Yeah, yeah, like maybe, I don't know, two months before you really start giving up. At least. But I've also spent a lot of time being horribly depressed at bad jobs, so I don't know if I'm a great source of inspiration for this. No, I actually, that seems like enough time that the specter of your old job will have faded and you get a good sense of if you just came in during a hectic week or if that's the way your boss is all the time, and then you get an opportunity to talk to your boss about things if it is the way they are all the time, and then you can sort of make a more educated decision. Right, because I'm partly reluctant to tell them whether to pull the trigger or not, because sometimes like transitions are really hard. And it's possible mm-hmm. that this is not like a, a, an unhealthy workplace that you're not suited to. It's possible that you're just like, questioning a recent drastic decision you made, feeling ill at ease, feeling uncomfortable, feeling like you don't have any relationships in the office that you can rely on. So you can't talk to somebody yet about things that you don't understand or that you don't like. Um, And that might get better with time. Um, Or it's possible that like you'll cry every night for every day that you work here. Um, And if that's the case, like I don't want to say stick it out for a year. Like I, obviously, I don't think it's a good practice to quit jobs immediately, but I do understand like sometimes you start a job and you didn't realize until you started it that it is not working for you. And um, I, like, I think everyone should, you know, it's sort of like how everybody should be able to miss a flight once or twice in their life. Uh, everyone should be able to quit like one job really fast once in their life is a rule I've apparently just made up. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a rule made up by a person who misses a lot of flights and quits a lot of jobs. My friend's husband, Steve, always says, if you go your whole life without missing a flight, you spend too much of your time in airports. And that's the kind of confusing sentiment that makes me feel like I'm making all the right choices. So I choose to believe that it's true. (laughs) I do. I think a general point in this, too, because I noticed at the beginning of the letter, she said that she left the job on Friday and started the next Monday. And I know that it's not sort of financially available to everyone to take time off between two jobs. But if you can, try to take a week or two between jobs. Because jumping from Friday to Monday just seems like you're adding more stress onto an already crazy situation. 
Yep. I also think, so you have a couple options before you quit, right? I think quitting should generally be, if not your last resort, at least your third, right? So uh, before you quit, um, go ahead and, like, talk to your boss. Uh, Obviously, don't, like, walk in and be like, it's my third day and you need to change everything. But you could absolutely say, hey, I'm just, like, it's taking me a while to adjust. One thing that's a little tricky for me is... Um, I'm not sure whether or not I should prioritize the tasks I'm working on right now uh, versus like it seems like the training I'm getting is a little impromptu. It might be helpful for me if we could set up a time, you know, every day when I have formal training sessions. Is that possible? Like, I think that's appropriate to ask for. And I think you can ask for it without demanding it. Um, And if they seem amenable, like maybe you have fixed that problem. And if they're really offended, like maybe you've gotten some evidence that this might not be the right workplace for you. So either way, you are gathering evidence about whether or not you're going to be able to work well long term. Um, I I, I do think uh, sometimes people train informally. I've definitely worked in workplaces where they were like, here is your schedule of training for the first two weeks. It's very by the book. And I've had some places where it's a little more like as issues arise, they're like, oh, here's how you'll handle that. And I don't think like, I, I, I can kind of appreciate both. I can definitely imagine some people feeling like impromptu training is is no fun at all. Um, but again, it's not like your boss is a manipulative person. It's not like they're being unreasonable in terms of, like, what they're asking you to do. It's just a difference in style. Um, so I think it, it at least merits a good faith effort before quitting. Like, I, I think if your boss was, like, cruel or harassing you or making demands on your time, like, you need to stay until midnight, that would be grounds for, like, quitting. Don't worry about it. Burn that bridge. Um, But as it is, I would say give it six months. I know that's kind of a long time, but it's also not forever. Like there's definitely light at the end of the tunnel. Um, You can try to be friendly to people. You can stop by people's desks. You can ask if anyone wants to go out to lunch Um, and, you know, ask your boss for help. Like don't say I need you guys to change the way you do everything, but like ask for help. And if you're still crying yourself to sleep, God, yeah, quit. Absolutely. Um, But uh, it's only been two days. And I think six months, even though that's not what I myself have done, so you will be doing as I say, not as I do, uh, just want to really stress point, stress home the point of how hypocritical I'm being, six months. And if you can't do it, fuck it, quit, you know? Like, just quit. <laughs> it's not illegal. Yeah. It's not the, uh, illegal, and it's not the worst thing that you'll ever do. And if you have, a, like, a generally good history of sticking out of jobs, um, it will not look like a worrying pattern. I'm really excited about this next letter because it's a mess. Oh, this uh, is this is gonna be fun. This one, the subject, the subject line of this one is just husband and old boyfriend. So <laughs> it's my favorite detective show. Uh, <laughs> that makes it sound not like former boyfriend, but a very old boyfriend, like solving crimes together. An elderly boyfriend. All right, all right. No more choking. Let's get serious. This is, this is a sorry. serious issue. All right. Dear Prudence, in his 50s, my husband quit his longtime lucrative job and moved to his native country to start a business. I begged him not to leave. He promised he would visit me and our 12 and 14 year old children during the summers. After three years in his country, during which he earned no money, my husband eloped with his brother's wife. I had to call the State Department to help me find him, which I did only because of our children. His sister convinced him to return home, whereupon he immediately developed a full-on bipolar disorder with paranoid delusions. He also announced that he had no more interest in sex. He was verbally abusive during the year before he finally committed to taking his medication, which mostly worked but left him anxious and non-communicative. A few months ago, I got a letter from a boyfriend I had in high school. 
I had cheated on him, but he never stopped loving me, and his wife had died a year ago. We have now been writing and talking on the phone every day. My husband and I have few common interests, but my boyfriend and I are so much alike that people comment on it. When I told my husband I wanted to get divorced to marry someone else, he claimed that he's always loved me and regretted not showing it before. He cried and begged me not to leave. He follows me around all day asking if I need anything. I went on a three-week vacation to visit this boyfriend who lives on the other coast, and still my husband doesn't want me to leave. He knows I talk to my boyfriend every day and is willing to allow that. I have compassion, but I feel that if I forgave him, he would soon be back to his old behavior. I love my boyfriend. What should I do? Leave. I need to go. Lie, I need to go lie down in a dark room for an hour before <laughs> yeah. I can think about this. I want the movie of this to be made, though. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just so much happening here. Husband and old boyfriend, the motion picture. Yes. I feel really yeah. bad for these kids. So, I mean, I think I think she's answered her own question. I think okay. So her her husband leaves her, has been verbally abusive. She has to call the State Department to get him back. Um, And she says that she doesn't think she can forgive him because she doesn't trust him. And that she loves this boyfriend who she has a great time with and has a lot in common with. I, I think if you just lay it out like that. Oh, and she had already asked for a divorce. It's just that it didn't stick. I think she's just got to make the divorce stick. Yeah, this guy's a hurricane. He like he's ruining everybody's lives. He's making his his brother's wife leave his brother, and then he leaves her, and he leaves his kids and his wife behind in another country, and disappears. And then he comes back. He's like, "Hey, I'm back. Just regular husband. I'm back." Yeah, I I just get out of there. I don't know. You yeah. just tell him you want a divorce, and you leave. I I. I feel like one thing that I do want to acknowledge is like his his diagnosis of um, uh, manic depressive disorder and paranoid delusions. Like it's certainly possible that that was part of what uh, caused that earlier behavior before his diagnosis. Like, uh, again, not to say like, therefore, there should be no consequences to his actions or therefore you should forgive him. Um, I just think it's important to point out like it's possible that he was not himself when he was doing those things, Uh, which does not mean you have to stay married. Um, but I'm really glad he's on medication, although I'm sorry to hear about the side effects. I, I imagine he's also going through a lot. I would not put it in the same category of somebody who did all those things, did not have any sort of mental health issues and just enjoyed blowing up people's lives. Um, right. So that's true. You know, a plug for compassion, not necessarily like, therefore, it's fine. Um, but yeah, this marriage is super over. No, I think that, you know, with the manic depressive and everything like that, it's certainly a reason and it certainly could explain some of the behavior, but it definitely doesn't absolve it. You know, if he if he hasn't acknowledged it or apologized or made any effort to really change things, which I I don't necessarily think that's the case, then yeah, you're still in the same place. Can I throw out something that worries me? Mhm. I'm worried letter writer uh that you did not like push for a divorce until you decided you wanted to marry someone else um your your kids have been through a lot over the last couple of years you've been through a lot over the last couple of years and 
I feel like moving across the country or having a boyfriend you haven't been like with in the same state for who knows how many years, at least 14, right? Um, to move in with you and your kids, like that would be another huge upheaval. Um, I think you had very good reasons to divorce your husband before you got involved with the old boyfriend. Um, and I think you need to look at your divorce from your husband really separately from your new relationship with your ex. Um, I think it's a good idea to divorce your husband. I think it's a good idea for you guys to live separately. I think it's a good idea for you to be like kind, respectful, supportive, um, encourage him to continue taking his medication, but to acknowledge that, you know, this marriage has been over for a long time. And that's good. I want you to do that. I encourage you to do that. I think you should absolutely divorce. I think you should take things very slow with your new boyfriend. Um, keep a long distance for a while. Keep visiting each other. Keep seeing each other. You don't have to break up with him. But, um, you know... Don't also introduce huge amounts of change into your kids' lives right now. Um, that would be my advice. Like, separate from your husband, absolutely. His suggestion that you just have a boyfriend and he, like, sadly follows you around and pretends to not notice, I think is not a good one. That's not how a good open relationship would work. I don't think you guys are candidates for a healthy open relationship. I think this marriage is over. But please don't please don't marry this new guy right now. Like, if it's a good relationship, it'll still be good in a year. It'll still be good in two years. You guys can take slow steps towards, well, what if you moved over here and got your own place nearby and we dated and lived in the same city for a year? And if that works out, let's talk about getting engaged. Let's talk about moving in together. Let's talk about building a life together and what that would look like. Let's introduce you to my kids, but not like, hey, kids, I'm so exhausted after like being the stable one, after your dad did all these really outrageous things over the last couple of years. I'm so tired. I'm just going to move my boyfriend in. Hope it's cool. Uh, please get to know him. He's a real nice guy. That would not be good, yeah. I think. Much like jobs, it's probably good to take a break between marriages as well. Like <laughs> nice, going directly nice. into another marriage. Not great. Yeah. Oh, I just, someone needs to take these kids to Disneyland or <laughs> a, a nice, dark, quiet room where they can just lay down for a minute. Oh, man. All right. Yeah, anything else? Just, anything you think we didn't cover? No, I think that this seems... I think your advice is good about taking a break. Um, because, right, if you started hanging out and you just went on a three-week vacation, you know, your thoughts when you're on vacation and escaping the the chaos that is your life with your husband you know, that can sort of color things sometimes. So yeah, taking time, you could just take some time. Yeah, there's no rush. I, I imagine you're pretty wiped out. I imagine it feels really, really good to be around someone who understands you and you feel like compliments you well and that you have a good time with. And I think you deserve that. And I think that's wonderful. But I don't think that that's a reason to rush into marriage number two. Cool. Well, Absolutely. the next letter is just titled Family Failure. All right, here we go. Dear Prudence, I am biracial and I grew up with my white mother in the Midwest after my father left us. I'm very close to my mom's family, and they're super close, but I'm basically the, I was basically the only brown kid in my entire class until I went to college. I would get cards and the occasional phone call from my father's side of the family, but only saw them maybe five times while I was growing up. Now I'm getting my master's at a university in the same state as them, and I've tried to make a connection. I've gone down and spent several weekends with my grandmother and extended family, but it has not gone well. They're very religious. I am not. They're very conservative. I am not. My uncles use homophobic slurs. My grandmother makes ugly comments about refugees, and my cousins have dissected my love life into ribbons. 
It means the world to me to connect to my roots, but I feel ashamed, unhappy, and uncomfortable half the time I'm there. I can't talk with my mom about it. She's tried the best that she can, but she hasn't had the easiest time with him either. Should I keep trying? Ooh. So I th- I'm going to speak to this as a biracial person. I'm just going to keep saying that as a biracial person. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I really understand that desire to sort of connect with your roots for one side, because for most people, you learn about your ethnicity and your culture and everything through your family. So if you hadn't had access to that, you know, that sucks. And I, and I understand wanting that and, and feeling sort of like you've been cheated if your family isn't letting you connect to that because you don't like them and they, they say mean things and they say homophobic things and all these reasons. Um, so I guess I would advise the letter writer to sort of separate wanting to have a connection with her father's side of the family and wanting to have a deeper understanding of her roots on her, her father's side and her father's ethnicity. I think that that can be done in a lot of other ways. You know, there's the internet. You can get a lot of information there these days. Um, you know, you can join clubs. There's a lot of things to read. You know, there's, there's just a lot of ways to sort of learn more about that side of yourself and connect more to it without having to go through your family. That makes a lot yeah, of think, sense. That's really helpful. Oh, I was just saying, I think once you've once you've once you've separated it down into the component parts of like the roots part and the family part, I feel like a lot of people have to make the the, the calculation. Oh, does spending time with my family make me more unhappy than the idea of not being connected with my family? And I I, I know a lot of people that have to sort of do that math and it's unfortunate, but I think it's a thing you have to to consider. I don't have anything to add. Sorry if you guys thought the silence was um, (laughs) waiting to jump in. No, I mean, I think that's good. You know, right. If you take away the wanting to connect to your roots thing, you know, you've got a family that you weren't really close to growing up who are now sort of offensive to you. And that's something that a lot of people deal with. And, you know, I think it's up to you to figure out, right, whether that's worth it to you or not to work on those relationships. Um, But I think you can take the connecting to your roots part out of it Hmm. and maybe find a different way to do that. Yeah, because it does sound like, you know, and I also want to acknowledge, like, I'm not biracial, I'm a white person. So there's there's aspects to this that, like, I I can't speak to and that I don't want to, like, rush to give advice that, like, doesn't um, kind of take into account um, the fact that this is, like, a really significant experience. And it has a lot to do with, like, how this letter writer feels about themselves as a person. Um, but to just sort of, like... I think it really like it's very clear from your letter. It's not just that you grew up with the white side of your family. You grew up in the Midwest. You were often the only person of color in your class. I, I just want to like 
really acknowledge that like it makes a lot of sense that like part of what you're seeking out is is to like feel connected to your racial identity um, and to connect with the like side of you that is not white um, and to say like that's that really makes sense like I, I just think that's like valid I, I understand that 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 like is meaningful to you I'm, I'm really sorry that it's like complicated because the side of the family you're getting to know you feel like you can't connect within a lot of levels I don't have like an answer of like oh you should stop trying or you should continue trying or here's the way in which you should try but I just hope that as Jaya said like you can find like peers people you work with friends like people that you're not related to but who like do share your your heritage that um that you feel like it's not just your family that you can connect to that through again not to like downplay how important family can be um because it can but but i hope that you like really don't make yourself feel like that was my only shot and if i can't do that then i just have to be like isolated in like a sea of white people hi prudence my name is alice and this is really secretive so i don't want my voice overheard too many people know me I was married for over 20 years, and I was straight. And my husband cheated on me and left me, and my best friend became my lover. And we had a loving relationship, I thought, for two and a half years. And she just stopped loving me and found someone else. And no one knows about this relationship, so I can't talk to anybody. The problem is that we live together, and she doesn't want me to leave. And she won't admit, even though I caught her, that she's with someone else. I'm scared, I'm lonely, and I don't know what to do. Thank you. Oh, God, the description of this was so much funnier. I I did not realize some of the details in this, and I just, I, I, I need to hug this person. I I need to hug you, unless you don't like hugs, in which case I won't hug you. I am so sorry. This is awful. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm trying to break down, like, the individual, all the individual things that are happening here. Right. Uh, so the, the, it looks like the, the timeline is uh, this woman's husband cheated on her and left. She got... Involved after the end of her marriage uh, with her best friend and then her best friend turned partner cheated on her, uh, but they have kept their relationship like uh, private enough that it doesn't sound like any of her friends or, or, or loved ones know that they were together. And now she has two problems, right? One of which is I can't talk about my breakup with anyone because I'm not out. Uh, and the other one is and my ex is trying to force me to continue to live with her. Right. That is something that comes up in so many, so many letters, not just Prudy. I see this in advice columns and just people's lives all the times where exes think it's a good idea to live together or one ex will think this. People need to stop doing this. That's not a good idea. And it doesn't even sound like her her ex is saying you need to keep living with me and we need to make this work. It's like. I didn't cheat on you. You didn't see what you saw and you have to keep living here. Uh, that yeah. sounds, uh, I would go so far as to say like manipulative and possibly abusive. I'm not even going to say possibly. Actually, if you try to tell someone they have to live with you 
And they're not like a baby, you know, like if you told a baby, you have to live with me. <laughs> Understandable. They have needs that like require constant care. Um, no. Yeah, that's not OK that she is doing that. And I'm so sorry, especially because you feel like you don't have a support system right now. Like, I don't know if you're financially dependent upon her. I don't know if you're worried that your friends and family would not accept it if you had been in a relationship with a woman. So I don't want to say like, just tell people because like if if there's a chance that you know anyone that you think would be receptive to hearing about this, like if you have someone that you know is comfortable with other gay people or bisexual people or or who would not judge you, like I, I hope there's some I hope there's at least one person in your life that you can tell. And if you feel like you can't tell because she won't let you, um, I would really encourage you to disregard that because like you have the right to tell like someone that you care about that you're sad because you were in a breakup. Oh. <sighs> Yeah, I wonder, is it maybe a situation where the person doesn't want her to leave because because of their previous relationship and now she thinks she's mucked up her best friendship? I don't know. But the, the outcome is certainly, it definitely seems abusive. Uh, I think I think it's a situation this person has to get out of one way or the other. Yeah, I, I feel like if there's anyone in your life that you think would be receptive to hearing about this, even if you're kind of embarrassed to say like, oh, it, it, we, we were together for so long and I didn't say anything. I feel embarrassed to talk about it now. I would just encourage you like people who really do care about you would want to know. And it's OK to share something, even though you've kept it to yourself for a while. Um, and and this is something that like if I knew a friend of mine was hiding something like this, I would want to know so that I could help. And I hope you have someone in your life that you can share this with, because I think you absolutely have the right to leave this apartment. This living situation sounds unbearable. Um, I think what she did to you was really unkind. And I think the fact that she's denying that she cheated on you, even though you caught her, is deeply cruel. Um, she's trying to make you like doubt your own perception of reality. And that's horrible. Um, and I think if, if like if you're financially able to get out if you feel safe if you don't feel like she would try to hurt you um I, I encourage you to do so if you don't feel safe um i would encourage you to find um there are usually like resources in most cities or in many states for women who are trying to leave relationships where they're afraid of being either financially abused uh, emotionally abused physically abused to get help in leaving because i think it's really important that you get away from this person like i don't think she's a good person i don't think she has your best interest at heart i don't think she's trying to take care of you i think she's trying to control and hurt you and uh, that makes me really angry on your behalf, especially given that, like, your husband cheated on you and left you. And then this this partner is like, well, I can do one better. Uh, I'll cheat on you and, like, end our relationship, but I won't let you leave. <sighs> yeah. And I think that, oh, man, I don't know. No, I think that's good to look up those sorts of resources um, because this definitely – this definitely is an abusive, manipulative situation. And I also think that just, you know, nothing, you're not going to be able to move on and help yourself by still being there. There's no way to get over what happened to you when you're still living with this person. I would add to if like worst case scenario, if, if you are in an area where you don't feel safe coming out, and if you have friends and family who would support you if you wanted to move away from a bad roommate, but if they knew that you guys had been dating one another, would um, 
cut you off or or react badly, um, then I would encourage you to tell part of the truth. I would encourage you to go to somebody that you know would support you um, if they didn't know about your sexual uh, history with this person and say, I'm in a really bad living situation. Um, you know, like conditions are such that like we cannot live together and they won't let me move out. Can you help me? I, I hope that that's not what it comes to. But like if you need help getting away from her and you don't feel safe coming out right now, um, I, I think you can tell like the truth of the situation, which is like, we're best friends. We moved in together. Things have really deteriorated. She's really like hurting my feelings. I really want to move. And she says I'm not allowed to. And that really scares me that she's trying to control me. Um, because like any way that you can enlist people to help you right now, anything that will make you feel less alone, less isolated um, will be a good thing. Because I think right now, part of what's so hard is you feel like I'm going through this horrible breakup. I'm trying to figure out how to get away from this person. And I can't even tell anybody like what's going on because nobody knows. And that's an awful burden to have placed upon yourself. And I just like want to encourage you to as far as much disclosure as you feel safe giving, I think you should give. Um, and if it's not, I can't tell people that we were in a relationship, then it's tell people I'm living with someone who's making life miserable for me. I want to move out and she's trying to stop me. Can you help? Like do that um, at least because I think the most important thing is for you to get out of that living situation. I I get away from this woman. Like she is not your best friend. She is not your lover. She is not somebody who cares about you. Um, she's somebody who wants to control and manipulate you. And that's not what you need right now. You need peace. You need someone who will be nice to you. It's it's so hard to when it comes to stuff like this because uh, like sometimes my instinctive response can be just come out coming out will solve all your problems um and to really stop and remember a lot of people don't come out not because they are like not because they don't care about the plight of like fellow queers or not because they're not interested in like being known but because it is not safe and um, it's either not safe financially, it's not safe emotionally, it's not safe physically, or a combination of all three things. Um, and it's it's really hard not to make assumptions like, oh, just come out. That'll solve your problems because it was helpful for me. And to just be reminded like, like there was so much pain in that woman's voice. And she's clearly going through something that is just draining and exhausting and painful. Um, and... I, you know, I just don't know the specifics of her situation, but I, I, I know that it would be really hard to go through a relationship and a breakup and not be able to share it with anyone. Um, and I'm just glad that, like, you reached out even for just a few minutes to, like, a stranger uh, online because I think it's really, really – it takes a real toll. And, and that's part of why I think, like, homophobia is so much the worst because, like, it asks this incredibly high toll of queer people to go through so many things, like, alone or in secrecy. And that sucks. And I just – I feel for her. Guys, any uh, any final thoughts on today's really heavy, heavy set of letters? I'm really sorry. I thought I was going to throw, like, a light one in there, and I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope all these people with very serious problems uh, find some peace because it seems yeah, there's <laughs> a lot. Would you guys say that this episode has strengthened your own marriage? I, I think that any any yearnings I had to move to another country and start a business have have been squashed because you know it would fail. Yes, it's yeah. true. That's <laughs> really glad to hear that, uh, guys. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for uh, modeling kind and respectful behavior in a partnership. Uh, I know I've benefited personally from it. And thanks for Dad Magazine. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Yeah. Of course. Get out of here. We don't need you anymore. It's over. All right. Fine. 
Uh, while we're on the subject, uh, I want to close today's episode with an issue that's very dear to my heart, um, which is television and late in life lesbianism. Uh, so two subjects that are close to my heart, actually. Uh, as many of you know, the Gilmore Girls revival is is almost upon us. It's less than a month away at this point. And uh, I, I have been trying to make a case for several years now um, that Emily Gilmore should become a late-in-life lesbian. And with the, like, sad and untimely passing of Richard Herman, uh, who played Richard Gilmore, um, you know, there's an opportunity for something beautiful to grow out of the ashes of sadness. And that is uh, for Emily Gilmore to become a lesbian. And I know what you're thinking, which is, Mallory, you can't make people become lesbians by argument. And to that, I say, I sure can. I sure can if I argue it hard enough. you like, obviously, uh, there should be an appropriate mourning period. And I, I, I don't want to suggest uh, that she didn't care for Richard Herman. Uh, she did. So actually, late in life bisexuality would be a fairer term. Um, their love was real. Their love was enduring. Um, but I think what would be so great about it is how much it would bother Lorelai and how much the fact that it would bother Lorelai that it bothered Lorelai. And they'd get to have conversations uh, that would just be amazing. And Emily would get to say things like, oh, never thought your boring old mother, reliable old Emily Gilmore could do anything that you couldn't do. I know what you think about me. And like, you don't know everything about me. And and you could stunt cast it so beautifully, like Julianne Moore, Angela Bassett, Michelle Pfeiffer, Jada Pinkett Smith, Rosie Perez, Jane Seymour, Susan Sarandon, all these like great women who are mostly just like waiting to get hired onto American Horror Story because that's the only TV show that hires women over 50, um, could play like a succession of women that she meets at the club and invites over to Friday night dinner and is like always saying like, she's of the Rolf family and like... She is my lesbian companion. And then, you know, Lorelai would be like, you can just say girlfriend. And she could say, no, I couldn't. She's of the Rolf family. They're practically royalty. I can't call her a girlfriend. And it would just be so wonderful. And they would wear a lot of color-coordinated pantsuits, not matching, because matching is de classe, uh, but color-coordinated. And it would just, uh, you know, bring me personally a lot of joy, which I think is the only reason that anyone who writes for television should do anything. So um, Amy Sherman Palladino or or any related producers and writers, if you are listening, um, Please write to me if you need more suggestions about who Emily Gilmore should date in the show that I'm sure you've already written and filmed. Um, so you'll probably have to do some CGI stuff to incorporate my ideas. But I don't think that's going to be a problem. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Casey Miner. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like the show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. Reviews make kittens happy and help new listeners find the podcast, which means more questions and more advice. Just search for Slate Dear Prudence. I'd love to answer your question. Call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it to 30 seconds, a minute tops, and send it to me at prudencepodcast at gmail.com. Oh, I just landed the bottle of water in the, the little recycling bin. This is very big <laughs> for me. Really good. I'm not a good thrower. Good job. I'm not good at throwing things. I'm really proud. I'm very happy about it. Thank you. Super proud.